Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Welcome to episode 30, wherein Mr. Graham McMillan and myself discuss the glory that is Justice League of America from the 70s, the mystery of cliffhangers, the future of slow burns and subplots in comics, Veronica Mars, Dave Roman's Astronaut Academy, and much more. Well, also, this is our first cast where we used levelator and noise removal on the mixing. Can you tell the difference? Drop us a line and let us know. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Jeff Lester. Hello, sir. Well, it's good to know that the microphone's working, first of all. Yes, you can hear me okay? I can hear you okay, I can hear me okay. So hopefully everything is working out. Listeners, <laughs> we are both having potential headset troubles today, but hey, it's working, so... So that's something, right? It Maybe. absolutely is. Yeah, potentially. No. Mm-hmm. Who can who can tell? Um, <laughs> Jeff, I want I wanted to start off um, reading from Showcase Presents Justice League of America Volume Five, which, as I've told you uh, in email and I've said on Twitter, is just positively stunning in its um, craziness. <laughs> and what I'm going to read to you is the uh, narration. The, the omniscient narrator um, talking about Zatanna appearing in the Justice League satellite. <laughs> Zatanna, the girl with the enigmatic smile and dancing eyes. Zatanna, ever calm in the midst of a stormy world. Zatanna, the bearer of peace. It then goes from that <laughs> to Superman saying, or thinking rather, just by being near her, I feel so comfortable at ease. <laughs> Mike Friedrich was, like, in love with Zatanna. <laughs> Apparently, which I guess... She, it... She's not even a member of the team by this point. She just shows up and, like, you get this incredible narration. Narration, by the way, which is accompanied by a half-page panel, which is a close-up of Zatanna's face with two smaller Zatanna heads. <laughs> really? She's got, like, little floating heads around her own yes. head? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. It's it's absolutely spectacular. Um. Honest to God, Showcase Presents Justice League of America Volume Five is fascinating because it's it's when my free, it's basically my free entire run uh, and the first issues of the the Len Wein run and um, and it's as if he was reading like Denny O'Neill and being like I could do this with the Justice League but instead coming out with like slightly sub Bob Haney material <laughs> so, they, like they, there's like maybe two or three separate issues where they try and deal with pollution. Oh man, pollution! Yes, yeah, including um, there's a, an alien planet entirely ruined by pollution mm-hmm. that Superman uh, Superman solves basically by giving them a stern talking to. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, like, I've tried to find the, the last part of that issue um, because it ends with a spectacular. Um, I can't find the issue. Damn it. It ends with an absolutely spectacular um, commentary from Mike Friedrich, which is just like, he might have solved it here, but he's not so... Yeah. Um, Superman, so Superman ends by saying, you missed the point. You'll never solve the problem by handing it to somebody else. My friends and I will restore your ocean's ecology as much as we can after we recover our own plankton. That's how they found out, by the way, the aliens were stealing human plankton. Plankton? Um, wow. Yes, whatever we can do, it was only temporary. You must each face your own problem. Redo your thinking about how and why you pollute your planet, even as we must do at Earth. And the caption then goes, the end, or is it your beginning? <laughs> Oh, it's 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 so great. Or Batman gets driven mad in the next issue by, 
by a robot and so tries to cause himself King Batman <laughs> and tries to kill the Justice League. Oh, that sounds like the that, most that, awesome issue ever. That's the Zatanna issue, by the way, which ends with the, uh, the narration, there can never be any real words to describe the Peacemaker and Flash, Green Lantern, Atom, don't even try, for this is Zatanna, the girl with the enigmatic smile, ever calm in the midst of a stormy world, the bearer of peace. <laughs> Wow. Oh, it's it's amazing. It's so 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 good. There's also the issue where um writer oh is he called Harlequin Jones? Uh who's that? <laughs> Har sorry, Harlequin Ellis, which is quite clearly Harlan Ellis. <laughs> yeah. Um his super imagination um causes trouble. For Harlan L for a Green Arrow and Black Canary because he's in love with Black Canary. Wow, that, that's an entire issue. Wow, uh, in which Harlan Ellison slash Harlequin Ellis, which is a really fucking fantastic name, uh, <laughs> dreams himself to be first Superman and then Batman to impress Black Canary, and it ends with this actual appearance on panel from my free <laughs> Which says, many are the things a writer is forced to do by the crash pounding of his creative soul. This story was one of them. For in writing of this man, Harlequin Ellis, I am facing the eternal mirror. For who is it that actually creates our heroes' ever-recurring menaces to their lives, testing every fibre of their being to the limit? Superman, Batman, Green Arrow, Black Canary, Aquaman are just as real to me as to Harlequin Ellis. I must believe in them. When Superman bursts through a monstrous boulder, it is I who flex my muscles. When the Batman looks with vengeance on someone he hates, it is I who hates. When Aquaman dies from water thirst, when Green Arrow faces a charging Minotaur, when Black Canary looks into the eyes of another human being and sees his soul, it is I. And when Harlequin Ellis cry cries over the lack of returned love, it is I. Many are the things a writer is forced to do by the ash pounding of his cradle. This story was one of them. For there is no escape from the soul shatter of the Nova awareness that I, in so many ways, am Harlequin Ellis. Wow. Seriously. The greatest book ever. <laughs> Dude, that's kind of, So, like, uh, Mike Friedrich was pretty much the Donovan to, like, Bob Haney's Bob Dylan, I guess, huh? It's It's... I honestly was reading going, I, you know, because it's 1970s Just League, and I was like, I'm kind of a sucker for this stuff. It's so much better than I expected. Wow. <laughs> because it's actually so much worse. Right, exactly. Oh, my God. And is this is this uh, during, is, what, Dick Dillon still doing the art? Who's, who's Oh, yeah, yeah. It, well, Dillon did the art for, what, like 17 years? Yeah, it's pretty like, easy. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, it's, yeah. It's, pretty, it's pretty much the start of Dillon's run. Oh, okay. Okay, so you still got that great... That guy, he and Frank Robbins were like the master of making superheroes look sweaty, you know? <laughs> like, seriously, both of those guys would just never oh, hesitate to show people it's, sort it's of... Dick, it's Dick Dillon and Dick Giordano. So, I mean, the art kind of looks awesome in that Ooh. exceptionally dated way. Yeah, yeah, that would be kind of great. That would be great. Oh, it's, it's so good. And then it ends with the um, first line we know she was with, are the... The first, his first issues are the uh, Seven Soldiers of Victory crossover. Ooh. And then it's got the Rutland issue with the guest yeah. appeared by Commando America. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Yes. I haven't read that. Jeez. Yes. 
it's really i mean it's it's a great book it really is full of great stuff man that is awesome it's the, it's the book everyone has to get if only because mike friedrich unsung hero of justice league writers holy cow yeah that's it's, just it's, awesome it's really really great and and he's got like star killer is that the, the guy's name the, the vampire the solar vampire is in there and like it's the first time that you get a real continuity in justice league like mm-hmm. each, there's a, a run of like maybe seven issues where each issue is a cliffhanger reading of the next story wow really that many issues huh yeah it's, it's actually really impressive and it's not that they're all the same story it's that you know flash was missing we don't know where he was because only man up here and be like flash is dead <laughs> You know, we should really have a podcast where you just record like the last page cliffhangers for a whole bunch of different books. Well, well, here's one. Uh, a, an unseen gunman says, "The timing has been perfect. The Batman has been kept busy tracing my finally left trail, leading him here into the sights of death." <laughs> how, how could you snow? <laughs> really? I mean, what sort of person could not do it? <laughs> It's true. You know, uh, to, to actually uh, change things up, just just for the briefest uh, moment, one of the things that's kind of hilarious is, uh, I, I, by contrast, I'm reading all these old Ghostwriter comics from the 1970s, and what I think is hilarious is being able to read them all now, I'm like, oh, I've got this issue. I don't have this issue. Oh, I've got this issue. I never bothered with this issue. And I'm really shocked by how often, like, Ghost Rider would end with these, like, dramatic, like, now the demon will kill you all type last page thing. I didn't give a shit. Like, two issues later, when they're all alive, I had not the slightest curiosity in going out and figuring <laughs> you, out. You didn't care what happened. I, I kind of, I'm sort of wondering to what extent I did. Like, the narrative thrust of the Ghost Rider comic was so inessential to whatever kept me buying, whether it was just like, <laughs> it's a Marvel comic and I must have it, or whatever it was that kept me picking up the book. Um, and, and the thing is, that's also mortifying is realizing like this was a bi-monthly book so like if i missed an issue it was four months until i picked up the next one you know and maybe that was why i mean it could could well be that just there were no real places for me to get back issues unless i wanted to try mail order which had no interest to me but i'm just fascinated the extent to which i was like uh i guess they're all dead like so you know to read it like 20 some 20 years later 30 years later and go Oh, so that's what happened. Oh, they didn't die. Okay. Oh, wow. I'm really glad I didn't bother to hunt that up because that was kind of a bummer ending, you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's funny how cliffhangers make you want to like, like, oh, I totally have to read this. And I remember all those books where I was like, I've got to have the next issue now. Uh, and interestingly enough, there are other books where I was like, eh. <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, you know? what's what's really weird about that to me is when I was um, when I was a youngster, um, American comics wouldn't reliably reliably come into the news agents, and I hadn't discovered comic stores by that point. Right. So what would happen would be like every month, just all that month's comics would come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I was actually thinking about this because I'm writing to Tim Kaha for for his column, and we're talking about um, Millennium. And Millennium was a weekly series, unless you bought it from the newsagent like me, in which case four issues came in at once. Wow. And all that month's crossovers were there. Wow. Uh, the thing about that was they didn't reliably come in. Mm-hmm. So there, there could be like, you know, you could pick up Flash and then you wouldn't see another issue of Flash for like two or three months. 
Um, and the weird thing, because that was, there's so many stories I just didn't get the ending to. But I also discovered that I didn't really care that I didn't get the ending to most of them. Right. Huh. I, I was just like, you know, that's, you know, this is a great story. I'm really enjoying it. And I'd be like, oh, you know, suddenly the Kilgore, whatever, the, the cybernetic computer that was in Mike Byron's flash, like, I'm going to kill you. And I wouldn't get an decision. I'd be like, ah, oh, I guess he's going to get out of it. Like, I just had this, like, <laughs> obviously, I'm not going to kill him. Well, this is the thing that I think is really interesting is this like, yeah, clearly that wasn't going to happen. And I don't ever... In Ghostwriter, they could, because he was like, Ghostwriter, it's in his name. Yeah, yeah. No, t believe me, totally. I mean, it, it's one of those things. The other thing that's hilarious about Ghostwriter is, and this may be part of the reason why I didn't care, uh, is that, like, I'm on, I just finished issue 35, and with the exception of Roger McKenzie, who's done a full eight issues, nobody has lasted longer than five issues. And the average run for a writer on Ghost Rider up to that point is about three. So See, I, I love that. It's um, Supervillain Team-Up. Have you read the, the collection of Supervillain Team-Up? No. Was there a collection of that? Yeah, there's an essential Supervillain Team-Up. Oh, really? Oh, my God. I've got to hunt that up pronto. Uh, and what's amazing about it is no one even lasts, like, two issues in that book. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's it. But, like, they try and tell the same – like, they're trying to tell a continuing story. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's, like, every two issues, someone would be like, that isn't my blood after all. <laughs> <laughs> Moron. You thought that was my blood? Really, this is my blood. Totally. Totally. Or, like, you know, they'll do a – we have come to peace, finally. We shall shake on it. And then the next issue, we'll start with them being like, why would I shake your hand? <laughs> and it, it's like, it's probably one thing to read it when it's coming out. And you're like, well, you know, this is exciting. They're keeping it going. But when you read it in the collection, you really are just spending every single page being like, they have no fucking idea what to do with this book. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And this this was the same thing reading these ghostwriters of, like, I and the one I really felt for was Tony Isabella, because he steps in, he takes over, he, like, you know, basically throws in Jesus and takes out the majority of the superhero elements, like, puts the ghostwriter in Los Angeles as a stuntman, introduces a supporting cast that includes Karen Page, and weirdly enough, Wendy and Richard Peeney, the creators of ElfQuest, are actual characters in the book. Oh, you know, I love it when they did that in the Justice League book, like Len Wein comes in in his own comic as oh. as this Clinus's wife, and I want to see someone else, Richard Howell or someone maybe. Really? Oh, probably. Yeah, they're all in the Rutland story. Of course, the, the, the infamous Rutland story. Right, um, right. Which is where they're always allowed to sort of pop up as as themselves. So yeah, uh, um. I think it, it might be Steve Englehart. It's definitely a Steve. Well, I was going to say because Englehart supposedly he did the Rutland story with the Avengers and. Uh, you know, supposedly it's like the same night, the same place. Yeah, I, I well, the the Justice League one in here is the is the Justice League issue of that crossover. Okay, wow. Which I've never read. I've only read the Avengers one, which uh, it's been decades since. So, so uh, to pick up this collection. Yeah, no kidding. I I actually have written it down. Uh, that's why I wrote you. I'm like, what what volume? So I can I can get it from him. Don't get me wrong. Like volume four is good as well. Mm -hmm. Um, it starts volume. Four, I think, is the last of the Gardner Fox issues. Mm, mm -hmm. um, yeah, Gardner Fox does like maybe five issues in, and then is the, then the rest of it is all uh, Denny O'Neill. 
Right, which you said, which I'm, I, I find highly suspect, actually. You know, O'Neill's such an interesting guy De- De- for me. Danny O'Neill's um, Justice League. It's, yeah. um, it's, it's very interesting because it's, it's, it's one of those like he wants to change the book, but he doesn't know what he change, wants to change the book to. Uh huh. Things. So, like, you know, he brings in something resembling a continuity. He brings in something resembling the characters actually being characters as opposed to when Gardner Fox did them, you know, they were pretty much interchangeable. But um, he doesn't really take it that far. And then you have Mike Friedrich, and all of a sudden, like, Batman makes out with Black Canary and then pines over, and then he and Green Arrow fall out because they're both madly in love with Black Canary. Wow. Jeez. Man, I tell you. These super teams. Because I don't, I don't, I'm trying to think, like, that. you know, in the Avengers, of course, there was all that sort of romantic habity-blab back during the, the Hawkeye-Scarlet Witch days. But, like, after a certain point, I'm trying to think, like, if any of the, like, major dudes got romantically involved, you know? It was such a, it was such a supporting character thing. Well, yeah, you know because, I mean? because at that point, all the major dudes had their own books. Right, right, exactly. You know what I mean, whereas, I, I'm not even sure... I guess Green Arrow was probably in Green Lantern at this point. Maybe because they keep making re- well, they keep making references to like the two of them, like trying to find America. <laughs> That's just a euphemism for gay sex, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> yes, anyone who's seen Easy Rider knows that. <laughs> exactly. Oh, look at those two guys. They're just trying to find America. Aw. <laughs> oh my God! You you watch Glee? We've had the Glee conversation before. Yes. Um, Kurt's dad had the greatest line in Glee the other week, oh, where yeah. he's coming out and saying, you know, I don't know what guy, gay guys do. And he goes, you know, I, I have no idea what gay guys like to do with each other. I watched that gay cowboy movie, and all I know is something went down in that tent. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Something went down in that tent. Uh, yeah. so many levels, that's a wonderful line. Isn't it? Um, so, uh, speaking of, of things going down, what exactly are we going to be talking about for the next 48 minutes or so? Well, I, I could so. really just talk about Justice League. For it sounds time. like you really could. Um, oh my god, so good. Um, let's see, I could talk about my last minute plans to go to Emerald City, uh, which is this weekend. I have everything booked, apart from tickets for the convention itself because they've closed down online registration mm. yeah i know this will be fun um also I, I discovered today there's a mudslide so you can't actually take it in between portland and seattle anymore what yeah you're gonna have to get a bus apparently so they... what oh man i was totally envying you going up there by train that just i was re- like i was really thing. looking forward to that uh and maybe it'll, maybe it'll be working by friday but it's definitely not working for tomorrow they've, they've come in and said no Wow. Wow. Nature, you suck. Um, that is really terrible. Uh, well, I tell you what. Actually, you know, let's sort of keep talking about what we were talking about in a way. So what do you think is the difference between those books that or, – or rather, like, like we all talk about the importance of the cliffhanger and it's dramatic enough. But it's clear that – like when we were kids, did we – did you really not care about cliffhangers at all, or was it just certain books? Or I cared about cliffhangers in so much as they were exciting, but I'm not sure I cared about the resolution. Yeah. Uh, and I think I was almost trained not to because I couldn't always get the next issue. Right. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, if I did care about the resolution, I would have been killed by the fact that there were so many stories I'd never get the next issue to. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, even the first thing I quote unquote collected mm-hmm. was X Men, mm-hmm. and that this distribution of that was terrible as well. Mm-hmm. And so there were so many things where I read part one or I read part two, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hadn't read part one. So it like it it was a really weird thing. I mean, the first I'm trying to think the first thing I read from start to finish as Starlight came out, even though like there was like a maybe two month gap between. Like coming out in America and coming out in British news agents, I think right. it's probably like Legends, like the DC crossover. Oh wow! Um, which is uh, such a weird thing to to like start with because, uh, like again, I'm you know I'm emailing Tim Callan about this, and Legends doesn't really have the greatest through line. No, it doesn't really have the greatest plot. Um, yeah. so there's not a lot of you know issue to issue continuity there. Right. Um. So yeah, I didn't really care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, even um, do you remember the Justice Society series from like nineteen ninety with Mike Parbecker? Is that, is that that where like I'm thinking of Infinity Inc. It, it lasted for like ten issues. Wow. No, I don't remember. Um, there was a point. So the first, I want to say the first four issues, the end of the fourth issue. It's a continuous story. The end of the fourth issue ends up with the Justice League all Justice Society rather all coming together to face off with the bad guy mm-hmm. and the last line is Wally West who's guest starring being like oh boy this is going to be good because it's literally like uh, and here the heroes are going to kick the bad guy's ass right and the, actually said the end it didn't say to be continued <laughs> or nice issue it said the end and at the time I was like that that's awesome like they're just taking it as red <laughs> <laughs> that they're like that, that they're going to kick the bad guy's ass, right? And you know, next issue will be the 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 aftermath, right? Um, and that was like a weird way of how I was reading comics when I was a kid, right? Like you just expect the good guys would win, right? So as long as the good guys are not literally being left in the middle of a death trap with you know no way to escape, mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah, sure they're they're come together. It's all going to work out. Well, I, mean, I think, frankly, even if that does end that way, you think that way too. It's just right, a few yeah, rare but... times that it actually has the villain holding up the dead body of somebody and going, oh, 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 I've killed him, you know, and then that's a little disturbing. But but generally, I, I'm just thinking about, like, a lot of the criticisms that we have about comics now, like how much of that stems from, and this is really honestly just coming out through the course of, of talking with you and thinking about these ghostwriters, like – how much of that comes through the idea of, like, A, we're always going to be able to get our comics, that there's a delivery system and, you know, we have sub-things or whatever, that it's, you know, that we work really hard to make sure we never miss an issue um, and and therefore become more invested in the idea that what we're reading has to hold up as an actual story, maybe? Like, as opposed to when I, we're I, kids. I don't know, because I'm also thinking, like, when I was a kid, all of these issues felt like even if they're continued and at this point almost all of them were continued whether they were like you know here is part two or here is part one right um you'd ne- you'd rarely get an entire like from start to finish in the same issue mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they all still felt like satisfying chunks of a story agreed in a way that a lot of comics now don't well, and again, like, like, imagine if you were a kid, imagine right. if you were you as the kid, right? Okay. And you picked up the last issue of Fantastic Four. Yeah. 
that's just not satisfying. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, I mean, you're, you're not given the context to understand it, and it, it's funny right. because um, we I wrote about it for Techland, mm-hmm. um, and I was looking at what people are saying online. The, the fans online are like, "This was great! Oh my god, such payoff!" And and I got none of it at all. I was like, "This is a completely emotionally cold comic to me. I have mm-hmm. no emotional foothold in this. I, you know, it. I I feel that the choice to go silent was." Uh, cheating and it and it robbed me of the emotional payoff I could have had if there was dialogue, mm-hmm. um, and it made me think that like that comic and superhero comics in general now are written for the audience who are already there, mm-hmm. in a way that back back in the day they weren't like they would acknowledge the audience that was already there and they'd play up to them because things like you know. Batman all of a sudden is madly in love with Black Canary. Only really, really works if you know the backstory of the characters. Mm-hmm. But those would be like Easter eggs, and the main gist of the story would be something anyone could pick up. Right. No, and I feel right. that I feel that's been mixed. I feel right. now that if you get a done in one story, you're lucky, mm-hmm. and the real focus is on the person who's been reading for years. Right. Well, I, or or even the the level of subplotting is as as inelegant as it was back in seventies and eighties comics. It seemed like it was a little easier to get, you know, not just like to get a subplot in there, but also still have the rest of the comic feel satisfying. Like you can get subcomics into modern subplots into modern comics now, but it feels like it really really drags the action to a halt uh and again this is one of those things like flipping through the ghostwriters like because i've hit the stage where don perlin has actually been on the book for an extended stretch now and and perlin's such an interesting dude in a lot of ways because he's like the opposite of flashy um when he's being inked by the wrong people his stuff looks like really sketchy but he like like he all of the guys on Ghostwriters, maybe because of the the way the scripting process worked, just work their asses off. Like the 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 average panel count on on the page is between like nine and ten panels. Like sometimes eight, rarely and and very rarely less than seven. Um, but there's also you know more full page spreads and that sort of thing. So the, there's a lot of um, the storytelling's clunkier, but again, and this is my old hobby horse, it, it seems like you can, because it's clunkier, you can jam so much stuff in there. Like, if you're not going to do it elegantly, and it's it's not even a matter of elegance. I think it, it really has a matter to do of once, once comics started mimicking television and movie pacing more, um, everything slows down uh, tremendously. And it seems, I mean... It's whether it's more sophisticated or less sophisticated or not. I just feel like it's inherently so much harder to get so much more information into it, you know. Um, and I don't know what they're going to do about that, or maybe they don't have to do anything. I suppose. Well, I, I was. I, I want to say it was Dan Slott who was saying this. I was listening to an interview with someone, and I, I think it's Dan Slott who was talking about how basically subplots and slow burns. Or something that he is going to be moving away from, and he feels creators in general are going to move away from, and he blamed the audience. Mm-hmm. All right, he just said, basically, with the internet, you can't do a slow burn because someone will spoil it, and so it's not even worth trying. Right. 
Um, and that that kind of sticks with me. I, I, I don't know how true that is, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like it's kind of an easy out, and it's... it's Oh yeah, it's 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 like pointing fingers in at the wrong direction, but um, but it's it's I would not be surprised if he genuinely feels that, and a lot of creators genuinely feel that that the audience has changed to such an extent that you could even if they were doing exactly what Ghost Rider say was doing in the seventies, the yeah. audience would no longer accept that. Right. Well, it's it's you know it's interesting reading the letters pages in Ghost Rider because frankly the fans complain a shit ton. <laughs> frankly, the fans weren't accepting it back then. Well, no, they really <laughs> were. They were like, this issue was pretty subpar. Like you know, and then they would go on to praise something else. But it was kind of fascinating that that the fans there were, in many ways, just as. Um, uh, ungracious as they can be today. I, I see what he says about the hive mind, and I, I think that that's really the case. On the other hand, like, let's face it, whoever's reading Spider-Man is, you know, like, what you know, what, one-twentieth of the people who are watching Lost or something like that? And admittedly, the people who do TV shows, not only is there, like, a fleet of writers, but they... In a lot of cases, the way that they come up with their subplot, subplots and slow burns is they just throw stuff at the wall to see what sticks. And then they don't – if you don't have a plan, no one can figure it out, you know? And so it's like you just throw all these elements and then you sort of connect the dots after the fact, which I know that Whedon did well, I, I, Buffy I, yeah, and – Yeah, know. like, like Battlestar Glasgow definitely did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boss did. I <sighs> – the problem with that sort of plotting, though, is generally you're going to upset everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, think of, I cannot think of any show like that at all mm-hmm. where the conclusion A, answered half the questions that the series raised, right. and B, left people happy. Agreed. I, I don't think that's a successful way to write. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't think of one show that was plotted like that that worked. Well, I, I I think I think Buffy, but mainly because they did their stuff over seasons, and I think that it's a fifty fifty split. You know, like I know for example that you didn't didn't like uh, the the Adam storyline, but I def from season what four, but it four, definitely yeah. seems like it rolls better than, you know, ra- wraps up more pleasing or more satisfyingly than say Lost or Battlestar Galactica. I think the I think the longer you do it, the more that you risk. Like if you just keep, you know, keep adding and adding. And exactly, adding. exactly. But I think I think in the short term, if you can do it for relatively short, like the gist of a season or some longer storylines, you can pull stuff together. Of course, with TV, part of the joy is kind of the interaction and also the expectation. I, I think I told you, uh, I definitely told Twitter that I started watching Veronica Mars finally, I think after all your... Uh, yes, and you, you were not so, you were, I was, I was going to say non-plus, but yeah, that's not true. You, you, you weren't the massive fan that a lot of us are. I, I really wasn't. It's a really slow, like, we're actually like three episodes into uh, episode, uh, season three. And there's a lot that... It's it's 
I think Veronica Mars is easily like, and I admittedly, I don't watch a lot of TV, but it's the sloppiest television show that I've seen in some time. Like they are the first season and the second season, the, the, some of their mysteries, some of the character plotting, it's, it's all incredibly slapdash. Oh, it's, oh, and you just started the third season of Witch, my friend. Oh, I know. And I can already tell. We're several epi- episodes I, in, I, and I'm like... I tend to say, like, just bail now, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, it's interesting. Well, you know, honestly... Although, what's really interesting to me is this first se- the second season, quote-unquote, learned from the first season. And right. third season, definitely lots of... Um, and I think everything it tries fails, to be honest. Right. I think every single time they make a difference, it uh, is not necessarily for for the good yeah no, uh, but yeah. but like if you are if you're like me because like i read like the showcase team titans i got i find one of the most fascinating books ever because again it's a series that is not working and you can see them actually try and think their way through the book as it's being published right like story by story you can see them like well that didn't work let's try this that didn't work let's try this and i find that fascinating and i think that veronica Mars season three is interesting for the same reasons you can see them be like okay let's try shorter mysteries shorter mysteries isn't working okay let's try this and um who was it? i think it was allison i think it was my friend allison hallett who writes the portland mercury right here mm-hmm. who was pointing to actually it might be laura hudson um the other day was pointing out that veronica mars season three appallingly relies on rape as a as a plot device oh yeah um i mean veronica mars does in general mm-hmm. like the whole first season it's i've been raped oh well i wasn't really raped is weird but season three especially mm-hmm. um has really 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 weird rape politics that i think it becomes this weird you know we want the audience to feel something for this girl she's been raped yeah well there's um, there's that and the third season so far is incredibly weird about its um, it's gender politics, which I don't know how it's going to play out. I'm sorry, it's racial gender politics, because so far every female of color that has has popped up in the first three or four episodes of Veronica Mars has been like a humorless, manipulative, angry person. Like there's you know well, the the newspaper editor who's sort of that, like that's all the way through the show though. Uh, Think about it, or to an extent. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, like, no, no, maybe, no. maybe they humanize later, but almost every single black woman who appears in the show initially appears as a nemesis for white, blonde, smart, sassy Veronica Mars. Yeah, yeah. No, and um, then and then they sort of become friends. But no, even even the handling of Wallace's mom in the yes. in the in the show was just like bordering on on criminal. I think. You know, and it's it is it's one of those shows that is really strange in that uh, for the like for 90 percent of the time, like Veronica is like so smart and so um, able and so um, on top of things and so ahead, uh, you know, ahead of everyone else on the show that that's, you know, most of the enjoyment of the show. And then. Weirdly, in the clutch, usually at the season finales, she just turns into a big ball of crying. 
that is that's really odd you know i mean and so like i can never figure out if it's like the male politics of it you know of it because it's by and large a slew of male creators who are creating the show you know and um i mean there's just so many sort of also having watched party down realizing that that the guys you know doing pretty much a lot of the same guys are you know phenomenally great at doing a 20 minute you know sitcom and it's maybe that's part of the reason why they just seem so fucking lost in the the 40 minute mystery drama format even though that's the one that came first and made their name i guess but i mean i spend half the episodes pretty much unless it's an above par episode like fascinated by what's not working while it's not working like in front of me like it's not a like i've never had like usually i watch shows and the next morning i'm like huh yeah that doesn't quite add up like veronica mars like i will finish the episode and turn to Edie, and i'll just be like okay were the creators high or did we somehow get high by watching that episode because it felt like it was 52 hours long and i still don't know what happened like the the fact that they're coming back to the rape stuff in season three is interesting because they have that episode in season two, you know, with Michael Sarah where she visits the campus and there's the whole rape situation there, and then they never resolve it. You know what I mean? Like from season two, it's like at the end of the episode, she's like, "Well, I proved my friend wasn't the rapist. Okay, problem solved." And yeah, they just walk on. off. Yeah. yeah, just like weird, like all that shit, like with Meg in season two, where it's like, "Well, it turns out that Meg's, you know, younger sibling is being abused in the attic." Moving on, you know. I was just like, well, I don't even understand how this show lets some of the things that it decides not to care about go free. You know what I mean? So it's really well. It's, okay, season three is going to. Uh, I don't say payoff it's definitely going to return to the the rape stuff from season two obviously right um but it's going to do it in a way that will probably infuriate you yeah i'm uh because season three is the one that even the hardcore rock on mars fans are like oh so that happened right right uh yeah uh you know i'm kind of i'm prepared that, that's why i'm saying like you might just want to cut your losses yeah. you might just want to well you know on. i do have to say that like i was pretty mad about season two but i thought the finale was superb i mean like apart from her crying bit the the denouement of the of the villain for for season two worked really really well in a like right in front of me the whole time and i never caught on kind of thing season one we were way ahead of the curve but it just had enough you know slapdash pyrotechnics that i that i went with the season one finale i i love the finale season one just because it's it's kind of ridiculous yeah you know, especially like when he's in the car mm-hmm. oh yes exactly exactly like, really yeah. really you're doing that yeah <laughs> but it goes it goes much weirder into the ape shit than you would ever think like by the time she's like in the refrigerator and things yes, are on yes. fire and her dad's yes. on fire and you're just like it, it's that great feeling of like holy fuck they could go anywhere with this you know because they started with the cheese and they moved it right into the holy fuckville so um which is a subdivision of Holy Shitville, apparently. So. I was to say, Holy Fuckville, it's, it's a lovely, lovely place to live. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's cheap. But it's, it is. No one's going to come to your house by the end of the night. Exactly, exactly. Holy Fuckville is, uh, you know, the property taxes are a little problematic, but, uh, but it's, it's worth it. It's really worth it. 
Um, yeah, so Veronica Mars. Well, and the other thing is, is the chemistry is worth it. I guess this is one of the things that I well, think that's I was saying. That, like, I, I think definitely for me, but I think for a lot of people I know who really like Veronica Mars, they like as much as anything for the characters as yeah. anything else. Like Veronica and her dad, I could just watch the two of them. Yeah. Continually. Um, and, and Wallace as well. Yes, exactly. So I thought they had a really nice chemistry together. Yeah. Um, the boyfriends always pretty much were blah to me. Mm. I, I, I never I, really cared, especially about the, the boyfriend in the first season whose name I can't remember. Oh, yeah, Duncan. The, the, Duncan yeah. Yeah. Oh, holy crap, Duncan just annoyed the shit out of me. Yeah, he was He was the... What did Edie's nickname for him was just the glob. Like, he didn't actually <laughs> like refer which, to him by which the name. Which, my is entirely accurate. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he, was, he was terrible. Then yeah. Logan, like, I'm not into the whole... I'm troubled and bad, but not really bad because I'm troubled thing. And I know that so many people are into that. Yeah. No, I, I'm fascinated to the the whole extent to which half of Veronica Mars feels like this weird sloppy meditation on Rebel Without a Cause. Because it's all about these, like, the, 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 all these weird variations on the troubled bad boy. I mean, there's, whether it's Dick Casablancas or it's Logan or it's Weevil, like, they're all different, but they're all their ways of sort of smart mouthing and lashing out and being sort of haunted by various things. Even with Dick Casablancas, who clearly isn't haunted by anything for the first two seasons, which is kind of great. Um, it's it's a really weird element to have on the show. Also, in part because they so much take it for granted. Uh, I quite I think I think that uh, I think that Kristen Bell and the guy playing Logan do have chemistry together. It's just they have chemistry, so the writers threw them together, and then work very much like. Yeah, but we don't know what to do with them or where yeah, to go what, with them. Yeah, what do we do now? Yeah. yeah, there's such the element of that. Like, right right from the very beginning of season three. Like, I, we just finished up an episode where it was like, yeah, this... Like, I, I can sort of see why she's being weird, but why he's being what he's being just seems so plot-hammery and capricious. But but yeah, no, seriously, any any episode where Wallace is in and he says something and smiles, I'm like, all right, this is an above average episode. I seriously, they. Oh, they Wallace's really smile makes it all good for you. Yeah, it does. It does. It brings a little glimmer to my heart, Graham. <laughs> Jeff, we've talked for 41 minutes. Uh, this is an hour long podcast. Do you have some repeat if it's your mystery? Uh, yes. And we haven't really talked comics yet, apart from my love of Justice League. What well, have you read lately, sir? Well, actually, I, I will talk about that, but let me just say, because I was actually thinking that, that there is something, since we're talking serial fiction, is one of the advantages, since we're talking about the subplots and the slow burns, one of the things that TV can do really well is if characters have chemistry, you're happy to have them interact regardless of whether or not there's a subplot. And I don't think that un unless you've got like an artist who can absolutely draw anything or, or you, or you've got a writer whose banter is incredibly good, incredibly good. Yeah. Comics kind of don't have that luxury. You know what I mean? So I kind of think the, the I think that might be one of the reasons the throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Um, deal it works better in television maybe than it does and like as you said it it doesn't pay off in the long run but in the short term it can almost work because as long as you like the chemistry of the actors oh yeah i mean i, th I think that lost and by the circle let's go both suffer from the stories in the end just not really making sense right but 
the performances can be enough to completely get you past that. Yeah. I still maintain that the Battlestar Galactica finale, which is terrible, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed at the time. And it was entirely based on the performances. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like it took me it took me to it took me a day and actually thinking about the story before I realized I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. 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 At the time I was like, this is great. Where right. I was like, I mean, not with Lost. With Lost I was like, they're in a church, seriously? What the fuck? <laughs> Um, well, the flip side of that for me was at least with Lost, like, even though I I hated the character of Jack, I still thought Matthew Fox should have won an Emmy for it, you know? I still thought he was such a great portrayal of that type of character, even as I wanted to shoot that character into space. So well. well, he played he played a very troubled dick really well. So I thought I thought that worked. His control issues and all of his other stuff and maybe it's just the the people that I work with in the law firm, but I really thought that he did such a perfect job of nailing that sort of type A control freak who thinks that he's really doing the right thing but after a certain point it becomes it's just that he has to have control of everything like it was really really well done so so i i, I think he played a really great multi-layered dick yes even as my, the my, my new novel a troubled multi-layered dick is um coming out really soon you totally him. should you to and you you just got to call yourself sparky bukowski or something like that and people will be like, oh my god that'd be awesome <laughs> Have you read the new Bukowski? Sparky Bukowski. <laughs> what a great cheat oh, that man. would be. Um, oh, God, like when, when Sean Marrow was in town, uh, we were talking, he was talking about um, the fact that new Bukowski is constantly coming out because there's so much unreleased stuff. Right. And he said, he made this great, he said, Bukowski's like the two-pack of poetry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's awesome. Well, you know, the thing that's kind of a bummer is is that you can't quite do it. They should, like, take that, the whole nine yards, and start putting snippets of Bukowski's poems and other people's poems, you know what I mean? Exactly, so, that'd like, be so great. It'll be like, you know, Mike Ondalci featuring Bukowski. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's half the thing that is so brilliant about they're like, yeah, we found this, like couplet from Biggie Smalls where he was just warming up and it's like perfect we're gonna put that in De Diddy's next song and we'll we'll like audio tune it so that it sounds like it's perfectly set to the beat and boom cameo and you know it's like the guy never died all, all of a sudden he shows up in cameo is he doing word up that'd be awesome Graham that's oh how many dies <laughs> <laughs> I, it's oh, it's a shame that we're actually doing an audio podcast. A, so I can't give you the stink eye of death, and B, because I I can't like shun you now for the rest of the podcast. Oh, but it, have nothing. It, to... that, that like couple of seconds of silence though was enough. If you could have, like, put in a little tumbleweed sound effect, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of brutal. Uh, so to get back to your question. I think since last week, I don't know if I've read anything, but old Ghost Rider comics, a couple of web comics. I finally finished up uh, Tezuka's Ayako, which was fucking fascinating. Um, uh, but I don't, I haven't, I didn't really jump in on anything new, even though I wanted to. So I'm trying to think: is there anything around here that I've, I've been? <laughs> I'm like literally looking around. I'm like, please let there be an open comic book that I can get to. It's just been Ghost Rider issues 15 through 35, um, which, again, 
like there's a great there's a great issue in there drawn by Don Perlin where a spaceship lands and a bunch of like like robo aliens roll out on motorcycles. That was kind of great. Um, the storytelling was, you know, I mean, it's one of those things about Ghost Rider is like, again, as we know from my previous things, I obviously, A, have a fondness for motorcycle comics, apparently, and B, ones where they're involved in absurd convoluted races. Issue 35 of Ghost Rider was a fill-in issue that apparently was started around issue 10 or 11 of Ghost Rider. I don't know why it took them 20 so- two- awesome. 20 some odd issues and considering it's bi-monthly something like four years to finish but jim starlin writes it uh steve liola uh does the art although starlin does the layouts and it's totally ghost rider ends up being challenged to uh, a race with death death gives him like they have three races through the desert and if ghost rider like Whoever wins the most, like Ghost, if Ghost Rider wins, he gets to live. If he loses, you know, he he he's dead. And it's just, you know, so it's basically like, you know, the Seventh Seal, but with a motorcycle race. It's awesome. I'm totally happy with. You it. do love your your motorbike comics. I really do, and you, it's, you should totally like invent a new motorbike comic. I, I really. If you did that, if you did that as a web comic, that's one of those things that would just be massive. Yeah. You come up with the right spin. Mm-hmm. Ho ho. And, and then, no, hey, good for me. That's totally <laughs> unintentional. Um, and, and the kids would go mad. Yeah. Well, you know, but here's the thing that's kind of f- hilarious is I've been reading these, like, when you read 35 Ghost Rider issues, like, in the space of a week and a half, you realize there's not a lot you can do apart from the inherent problems of showing, like, speed and motion in a medium. Like, Ghost Rider really only has about three tricks, and one of them is jump in the air over something. Half the time, they have to go to absurd lengths to get him to do that. The other thing that's great about Ghost Rider is he can, like, ride right up the side of something. That's also awesome. Uh, and then there's usually, like, some third racing option that he has, and that's pretty much it. I'm like, wow, that's all you guys have? Like, you've really got to figure out a way to trick this out. But there is that weird thing of, like, I don't know if, like... Like, as you said, clearly I have a fondness for this. I have a fondness for the race comic. I'm not sure if it's it's actually... Um, Based on anything real. Yeah, apart from being able to watch Speed Racer, like, in the mornings before kindergarten growing up. You know what I mean? Like, it could just be primordial. You know? Like, I could be like, hey, you know what we should do a comic that's about? All, that's all the more reason you should do one that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, so how about yourself? What are, what are you? Uh, let's see. Well, I've read the Justice League. Obviously. I read Astronaut Academy, which I wrote about for Robot 6 yesterday. Yeah, I'm very excited um, to read that Which is really, really good. And I hadn't really read that much Dave Roman before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I had Astronaut Academy for a while and, and just hadn't picked it up. But pretty much within like two pages, I was like, oh, this is fucking spectacular. Wow. Um, it's just fun. Mm-hmm. It's just completely a world in and of itself entirely unapologetic about it just out there fun ridiculous i i I really really loved it It, i honestly finished it and was like i can't wait for the second half of this wow and it doesn't end with a cliffhanger i think it's not like i was like oh cliffhanger uh it's (laughs) but it's just it's weird i i almost think that um school fiction one of a better way of putting it Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in the West, has sort of been infected by Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. 
and this is like a high school thing that has nothing to do with that at all. Interesting. Uh, which is much standing where I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> like, this, this is nothing like Harry Potter whatsoever. I kind of love it. Um, but no, it's great. It, it's, um, it's kind of, I mean, it's based for, for I think it says tweens and teens on the back. So I've got the, the reader's edition, which has all the great information on the back. Like, you know, it's aimed at this age group. There will be this type of promotion. Um, but there's a certain element of uh, sort of like, you know, be your own person, believe in your own thing, and then that'll get you through uh, in there. But in such a way that it doesn't feel preachy or false. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, like, the, the one of the characters is very much like a person. Like, there's no payoff or reward for that at all throughout the entire book. <laughs> like, he's, he just does what he does. Uh, that's it. Um, I, I, I just really, really liked it. Like I said, it really reminded me of Scott Pilgrim, and I couldn't think why until I, I saw that right at the yesterday. I was like, oh, it's just because it's fun and it's fully formed. Like, it's its own thing, mm-hmm. and it has that sense of just greed right going through the whole thing that i hadn't experienced from anything other than scott pilgrim right uh, that there's no like oh i can tell where this comes from or you know it's it's clearly trying to win over x audience this is just like hi i'm i'm my own thing right. i'm awesome i'm really really upbeat right right you know i don't i don't care if you love me or not right um and so i love I really, really, really liked it. Well, and you feel um, that way about King City, too. Like, I mean, I yes, know that it's a yes. different vibe in a way, but it's got that same sort of energy to it, because that's totally how I think of, of King City, you know? Oh, no, entirely. Um, I mean, King City, what's interesting is for me, I can see more things that tie into King City that, that feed into it. Mm-hmm. I think Brandon Graham does a great job of turning it into something new. Yes. Um but I, I, I almost see more, more influence in King City than it did in National Academy. And I think that's just because I'm not into where Dave Roman has come from. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I've read more. If right. I read things like Smile or something, I might be like, oh, you know. Um, but no, I really, really, really enjoyed that. What else have I read? I was catching up on just the regular comic comics I'm reading. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man seems determined to kill my interest in that book before they go into the Death of Spider-Man arc. <laughs> And it's just the last couple of issues have been stunningly just. I'm going to tie up this plot before the crossover, um, to the point where I'm kind of thinking that they are just going to cancel the book. Do you think they really would kill him and cancel the book? I don't know if they're going to kill him, but I think they might cancel the book. Hmm. Um, because they're they seem to be tying up like all those ends. <laughs> um, so. I don't know, it's just, it's not, again, it's a comic that was for like the first 15 issues of the new run, mm-hmm. really fun for me, mm-hmm. and since like issue 150, has not been, mm-hmm. has felt like it's desperately trying to take care of business, mm-hmm. um, and just rushed, just not, not fun at all. Um, what else? Action Comics continues to be awesome, and I was actually surprised by the, the reveal of the, the, the the bad guy behind everything and totally shouldn't have been it's one of those things that i didn't see coming and then once it was there i was like oh that makes the most amount of sense of anything <laughs> um but i really didn't see it coming so i i always like when that sort of thing happens yeah that's great uh new york five the brown wood book mm-hmm. i again just loved and uh, really makes me want him to do like an archie comic 
so much. Um, yeah, I can't think what else I got last week. That's about it. I'm sure I read other things. Yeah, well, see, that's it. I didn't go last week, so it'd be kind of interesting. I'm hoping to go tomorrow, in which case I'll have two weeks of books cut up, which will be great, because when we talk next week, I'll be like, hey, I read this I read thing! everything! <laughs> it's like three weeks old, and you'll be like, yes, and now I want to talk about Harry Nelson Sings Randy Newman. That is a great album. Let's, let's be honest. You know, I haven't picked it up. I was like, I, no, seriously, which is, I was looking at uh, Randy Newman's uh, Wikipedia page when I was trying to come up with a graphic for our, our recent um, uh, Savage Critic entry uh, for episode 28. And I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot he, like, I sort of had vaguely known that he had recorded that album way back when. And at the time, I was like, eh, it doesn't record it. It doesn't seem to have much interest for me back then, for whatever reason. But now, now you're like, well, um, well, not that I am encouraging anyone to do this, because this would be horribly, horribly wrong. And in fact, if you're worried about this, you might want to remove it from the podcast, Jeff. There is a website <laughs> called for the love of harry.blogspot.com that has all Harry Nielsen's albums up there. Wow. That's, uh, that's kind of impressive. Um, <laughs> Yes, I'm writing it down now, and then we'll delete it from the podcast. Yeah. Because... Yeah. It's, it's got everything. It's even got, like, his single. Wow. It's, 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 it, like, everything's up there. That's great. Does it have, like, uh, does it have a, uh, you know, can you, all the connected versions of The Point on YouTube so you can watch the entire movie? I have no idea. <laughs> have you ever seen that? I have not. And I, when I when I said at some point that I really love to think about your troubles as a song, which I knew from a cover before I knew Harry Nielsen. Oh, really? um, someone was yeah, jelly of all people. After we had this conversation sort of round about a while ago, um, Jellyfish to, Jellyfish's last recorded song ever is a cover of "Think About Your Troubles." Wow! Uh, and it's only the two main guys in Jellyfish because everyone else is fucked off by that point, and then then they fucked off from each other. Wow! Um, and it's spectacular. It's a really really good version. Um, but so I knew that I didn't know the, the point at all mm-hmm. and then um, I said on Twitter I was like I'm getting entire nails and I think it was Tater Pie said hey the point's great and I was like uh, whoa, whoa, okay <laughs> yeah you should check it out it's really a lot of fun It it's the sort of thing that was my introduction to Nielsen so of course, I'm going to love it, and part of me is like, huh, maybe it wouldn't hold up if you already know his work, because it definitely has a, you know, uh, no pun intended, it has a point to it, you know, it, it's definitely putting its own um, spin on the material, so, but, uh, but you know, it's it's also really cute and really fun and very sweet, so, um, it's, uh, it's worth checking out. I I probably shall at some point. Um, right now, my spare time is going to be taken up with A, more dog training. Uh, and oh, be yeah. uh, finishing a certain thing that was sent to me by a certain someone. Hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> well, hey, it's twelve oh two. So um, yeah. Do, do, you need, do you need to rush off? I I will. I will. St- let's put it this way. Let us go offline, as it were. Uh, you know, but we need to come up with like some sort of like classic, brilliant closer. Like we should. You know, maybe we should like start getting like the last page of like our favorite cliffhangers, and then we can just read them at the end or something. I don't know. Wait, wait, we can't just say love it ever. <laughs> oh, right. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it, love it ever, miss it never. It, it, it's yeah, love it ever, miss it never. Never, true believers. Excelsior. See, I just gotta go with all of them. Like.
Just straight please, please, please tell me you're actually going to edit that in to the end of the podcast. <laughs> Which part? Me going like... No, all of it. All of you, from you saying... We need to come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll probably put that at the beginning as a cold open. <laughs> <laughs>